guys. I know it's been a long time. Um, definitely a much needed break, but so happy to be back. Um, we're covering a crazy, crazy case today. Um, and I actually have added somebody to the podcast and we will be um, releasing some branding stuff soon and you guys will get to know her. I'll let her introduce herself. So I'm Akila, Akila Anders, and I'm super, super excited about doing this podcast. I am a huge, huge true crime fan. Um, it's been something that I've used to connect with my parents, and I've made a lot of friends through the community, so I'm looking forward to this. So she's, like, super knowledgeable. She makes me look like I don't know what I'm doing, so you guys will be happy to have her on the podcast. She'll be schooling me, I'm sure. Um, today, we're going to talk about the Betty Broderick case. Um, I'm not sure how well-known it is to the public. But if you have Netflix and you watched Dirty John, it is season two. It is, it's it's just a wild ride, guys. So we're going to get right into it, and then we're going to be discussing what we think about it. And you guys feel free to, you know, kind of create your own conclusions out of that. But we kind of want to create some awareness for both sides of the story. We feel like it's definitely been um, pretty one-sided in the media and just, everything. So I'm just going to go ahead and get right into it and we'll go from there. Uh, so Betty Broderick, that's who this case is about. She's not portrayed as the victim, so we're not going to say that she is. Um, but we'll start just from the early years because as everybody knows, everything is affected by your early years. So she was born Elizabeth Ann uh, Biseglia. Sorry if I butchered the name. She was part um, Irish, part um, Italian, so I just can't pronounce it. <laughs> uh, she was born in 1947 in Bronxville, New York, which is a suburb of New York. It's an affluent uh, suburb of New York. She was the third of six children, so a middle child. Um, she was born to a devout Roman Catholic family, and they lived a pretty cushy life. Uh, they owned a successful plastering business with their relatives, and her father was a successful building contractor. Um, and her family were all members of the local country club, and they pretty much lived a cushy life in the suburbs of New York City. So she was pretty much born blessed, and you can use that as context. Um, they were really strict, and they expected a lot of the children. Uh, she she being Betty has mentioned that she was basically being trained to be a housewife since the day she was born and was basically told to go to Catholic schools, be careful with dating until you find a Catholic man and support him while he works, be blessed in your later years and enjoy your beautiful grandchildren. So you guys can kind of figure out that's pretty much what she was bred to do. So even though she did go to school, that was kind of her main goal was to be a mom and have a family. Um, she did go to school. She graduated from Maria Regina High School in Hartsdale, New York in 1965. And then she graduated from the College of Mount St. Vincent in the Bronx. And she earned a degree in early childhood education through an accelerated program. And her credits also earned her a minor in English. But during her freshman year, she met Daniel Broderick at a party during a chaperone weekend visit uh, to the University of, of Notre Dame. 
Sorry, guys, I'm Mexican, can't pronounce that. <laughs> and he was a senior, and that's pretty much when the story begins. That's when their whole relationship started. So, so far, it's been pretty uneventful. You know, she's been raised to just be a mom. She went to school. She did what she needed to do. But this is when Daniel comes in the picture. Um, so they courted. And then Betty and Daniel Broderick were married on April 12th of 1969. But their relationship pretty much started going bad the second that they tied the knot. In a later interview, Betty said that Dan stopped courting her and she pretty much felt trapped and that the honeymoon was over immediately. Uh, when they got home, her mother, Betty's mom, who was angry that Dan didn't want to wear a tuxedo to the wedding, immediately forced Betty to move her belongings into his tiny Cornell dorm room. And the honeymoon was over. And after that, Betty, for the first time, threatened to leave Dan. But she didn't go through with it because she found out she was pregnant. And so, she got pregnant on their honeymoon. Yeah. So she was just fertile myrtle. And yeah, she got pregnant right away. She realized that she kind of wanted out immediately because he pretty much started being like misogynistic right off the bat. Like he courted her. And then once he married her, he was like, you're mine. Cook, clean, serve me. And she was like, I don't like this. And Which is so bizarre pregnant. and unfortunate though, because that's how she was raised exactly. to believe. But I think when she got that secondary education, she went to college, she realizes yeah. She's capable of doing these things. She wants to have a career. She loves her kids, yeah. but she wants to be more than just Dan Broderick's wife. But she was sharp. Yeah. Like, and it's it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of contradictory because she was raised to be a mom and to just be a wife. But because she was so sharp and she did get out of that life and, and go get a degree and kind of became her own woman and was used to him. And also, I mean, we've all dated someone probably that, gave you the moon and then they show their true colors and you're like wait where did this come from well and you think about it like their introduction the ego on dan to yeah. like introduce himself he like wrote his name on that napkin and slid yes. it to her and it said dan broderick mda yeah. which was and he like was still in school he was still in school to be a doctor. so what was it it was like medical doctor like i, I don't even I have remember it in my and notes. you did oh. it was like uh right here mda medical doctor almost yeah yeah and you did your own research too so oh yeah so i've been good. because i didn't i mean i remembered that but i wasn't quite sure i think the first time that i heard about this case i probably was like seven or eight my mom loved lifetime movies and woman scorn come on had come on and it just kind of really plays into why this trial and everything that happens goes the way it goes right because she was completely villainized yeah. and had this case happened like we were just talking about that if this happened in 2022 the way this is handled would be yeah. completely different so well, it's I mean, definitely of exactly. the times yeah i definitely and, and not only that the stature that dan ended up getting in the community and the way that he maneuvered and manipulated and frame things it definitely didn't help her so unfortunately she's kind of torn but she is pregnant so she does what a lot of us do you kind of try to make it work you know you have a child you are now thinking about 
another person. She wasn't raised to be a single mom. This is the 80s. She's strict Catholic. Her mom would probably kill her. And so she kind of sticks it out. And pretty much she's just feeling trapped. But she's, it seems like she's trying to make the best, the best of it at that point. Um, she did try to hide her pregnancy. And she worked as a third grade teacher until the day that she delivered her first daughter. And her first daughter is Kim Broderick. And you'll hear about Kim in the media because she's, I think, the most outspoken one of the kids. I don't know if it's because she's the oldest. And so she was more aware of things. But she's definitely the most outspoken of the kids, I think. Absolutely. Um, not long after her birth, Dan decides that he no longer wants to be a doctor. I mean, he went to med school, everything. He didn't do his residency, right? Yep, didn't do his residency, decides I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to study law now. Right. And I'm going to go to Harvard Law and you are going to support this family while I do and that. And she'd already done that. Like you've been doing with med school. Med school. She supported him and through med school. And these are long programs. Yep, eight year, like eight plus year programs. Right, and he pitched her by being like, I'm going to make much more money as a lawyer with an MD because I have both. So her being the supportive wife that she is, and and I do want to say that, of course, she had to have been at least a little bit self-serving because I'm sure she, she wanted to be a supportive wife, but I'm sure there was like a 1% chance of her being like, I'll be a lawyer's wife, you know, I mean. And she wanted to be taken she deserved, care of. You're going to put someone through it. They're going to support you. Yep. You know, so she worked odd jobs. I know she sold Tupperware. Um, she worked at a department store. She pretty much worked odd jobs. And then she also was a teacher, a third grade teacher. And she worked until she delivered. So then Dan gets into law school. He goes to Harvard and they moved to Massachusetts, obviously for school. Um, but she didn't have family there. That's not where she's from. Um, so she felt isolated there. And she all she has is you know, a baby, she's pregnant, he's in law school, which is super time-consuming. From what I've heard, he was very, like, one-track-minded and really involved and really didn't help her a lot with the kids, kind of, like, left her to fend for herself. Exactly. And she was supporting the family, and they were living in, like, a studio. And I think that goes back to how she was raised and how he yeah. was raised. They both come from strict Catholic, Catholic. families, and that's what their moms did. Their moms stayed home and their moms were the homemakers and take care you of the kids. You pretty much hold it down. Yes. But you Betty's coming from down. that generation right. of women, especially in the 80s. They want to start getting yeah. into the workforce. They want their own careers. But she's and putting, she had a degree. Yeah. And she's putting everything on yeah. the back burner to support her husband. But she's also getting pregnant over and over and over again. She's having miscarriages. He doesn't want her to use birth control because... I mean, I don't know, I don't want to make a general term, but I know that a lot of Catholics don't believe in birth control. Yep. Um, and I I do know somebody who's strictly Catholic and she doesn't believe in birth control. And so they do um, like charting where you chart your cycle and you like know what days you can and can't. And I guess it works, which I mean, it's worked so far. So I apparently she either wasn't doing that or it wasn't working or this man had like super strength you know, but she just kept getting pregnant and she, that's kind of, I feel like where her mental struggles started. She didn't say that, but I just, as a woman, knowing that you're A, having miscarriages, B, you're having babies and 
I mean, you don't feel like yourself when you have a baby for like a, another year or two. And she wasn't even getting that time because she was getting pregnant back to back to back. And she's doing all of that while still managing the home, taking care of the kids that she has, going supporting to work Dan. and supporting Dan. And I understand like the importance of going to law school. It's like having a full-time job. Yeah. But he basically put her in a position where she was married, but she was acting as if she was a single mom. Literally. And any woman is going to get really sick of that really the fast. The breadwinner. Yeah. And he was always studying. He wasn't really around. And I mean, not to victimize her, you know, she, she signed up for it. Okay. She's writing it out. And you think, okay, well, she's going to enjoy her later life, right? You're going to, he's going to get his degree and you're going to be affluent and you're going to live a nice cushy life and the sacrifices are going to be worth it or in theory, right? So basically she, they move, she's super isolated. And again, she decides that she wants a divorce. So, I mean, you're already seeing it play out in the story. She's unhappy. She is, you know, she's been married to him, I don't know, a couple years, and she's already threatened to divorce him twice. So what happens after that was she gets pregnant again, and she chooses to stay because, again, who wants to be a single mom to two kids now because now she's in Massachusetts, she's alone, she's married, she's got two kids now, or she's going to have two kids. So basically every time that she wants to divorce this guy, she gets pregnant. So I'm gonna have to assume that maybe this guy was doing it on purpose. I would venture to agree with that because once you, the more you read about Dan, the more you read and learn how much control he wanted to have over people, including her. And it's during a time where being a single mom is a taboo still. It's not something that people are going out and doing anymore. You know, it was frowned upon, especially when you're thinking of a Catholic family and they don't believe in divorce. So I can't imagine dealing with somebody with his ego mm -hmm. and taking care of toddlers. Well, then your family's not supportive. Yeah, and you don't have family know? there, so that's got to be super isolating. And even if they were there, they're not supportive. Her mom always told her, like, you need to stay there. You need to work it out. He's the father of your children. He's your husband. They don't believe in divorce. So it's literally just, like, she's stuck. And I'm convinced that this man impregnated her every time she wanted to leave. Because even after the first kid, she was going to pretty much take the L and, and just be like, okay, I'm leaving you. And then she gets pregnant again. And I'm sorry, we all know how babies are made. So, you know, he, he's an MD, he's a doctor. So I know that he knows oh, how he's to He's 100% a baby. aware of what's going on. Like, and he on. knows she's not on birth control and he doesn't want her to be right. on birth control. And not only that, she's his free meal ticket. She's over here supporting him. He's going to school. She's raising his kids. He's got it made. So already I feel like, He's super manipulative. And I know that in the future, we're going to see that she's portrayed as the bad one. But I call it whatever you want. But I already see signs of manipulation and just abuse, literally. And with this case, like everything that I've learned about it, I think gaslighting is a term that gets thrown around oh, yeah. for everything this year. But if anything was going to be an example of gaslighting, this this case is it. Agreed. Betty Broderick is 
like the poster literally. child for being gaslit. Literally. And then and then everybody knows where the term gaslighting comes from. Yep. And in case you don't, it's literally a story where this guy pretty much drives this affluent woman crazy. He marries her and drives her crazy. He starts like make like turning off the lights or like unscrewing the light bulbs and like making lights flicker and like moving things around and basically making this chick think that she's crazy when she's not, he's messing with her. And she ends up like being committed and I think he gets all her money. Yep. And that's where the, the term because it was like gas lamps. So it's like that's where the term gaslight comes from. But that's what he was doing. Like he and it continues and it gets worse as the story goes on. So long story short, um she was just stuck again, pregnant again. And she's been quoted saying, I went from being accomplished, well-connected and free from being isolated from my family and friends to trapped with two children for whom I was 100% responsible. Dan went from being a student on his own with no possessions, no savings, no connections or contacts to being an MD, JD, um, who had many, many contacts. She quoted that to the Los Angeles Times. So the Los Angeles Times has a podcast, and they did like a really in-depth, like multiple episode podcast on this. So if anybody wants like a more in-depth um, coverage of this, they can listen to that as well. But she she's been quoted. She she does interviews. Oh to yeah. Today she does interviews. She's pretty outspoken about the way she feels. About Dan and, and still the situation. To this, yeah, the yeah, entire this, thing. And I kind of like, I, I don't want to like her, but I like her because she's just like unapologetic. She's just like, it, it is what it is. Yep. I stand by this. She did it and she stands by her choices. Exactly. And I mean, it kind of comes back to bite her in the butt just a little bit, but it does. But she's dying on that hill, though. She's that's the hill. She picked it and she's dying on it. But I would too, like when you're talking about. What woman in their right mind wants to put a man through school twice? Literally. Through Harvard. Literally. <laughs> and you're taking care of these kids and he wants you at home barefoot, pregnant, catering to his every whim. You're going to lose it. Yeah. Yeah. And she did. Like your mental yeah. breakdown is going to stop. And, and then you, you feel bad for her. It's hormonal. It's the 80s. She's... You're not getting mental health care. Yeah. Nobody's talking about postpartum depression. You know, she's having miscarriages, which isn't really referred to a lot. But I mean, if you do your research, she had a couple miscarriages and he just kept like immediately getting pregnant, getting her pregnant, like immediately after, like let her rest, let her grieve, let her mental health be okay. Let her uterus heal. Like just let her be, stop touching her, man. Like, to be honest, I don't feel like anybody, um, especially in the courts would learn the extent of what postpartum depression can do to a woman until like 2001 right. with the Andrea Yates case. That yes. was like the perfect case of yep. this is what happens when you are constantly in a position of having postpartum depression and then you're getting pregnant, you're getting an additional rush of hormones. I mean, it's and, scientific. Yeah, it's, it's scientific. Like your, your entire chemistry changes, your hormones But the change. conversations weren't as open as they are now. Right. Well, especially not in the 80s. And I can't, that's exactly what I'm thinking. I can't picture like my mom or my grandma going on Facebook and making a post and being candid about their postpartum. Right. Whereas like you and I, we could do that. Being very open about all their struggles. And as we were talking earlier, it's almost like glorified to have like some sort of issue or some sort of diagnosis. And 
you know, another conversation for another day. But yeah, definitely a different, a different time. Um, so long story short, she was pretty depressed, but th there is like a part of the story that's, that's good for her because he does end up being a malpractice lawyer. He does end up making really good money and he does end up kind of giving her the life that she had been striving for and pretty much the life that was promised to her for giving him, you know, his MD, his JD, all that stuff. Um, they end up going to San Diego and they become like really distinguished. And it's said that Daniel was actually somewhat of a local celebrity. And as I mentioned, he was a malpractice attorney. He had degrees from Harvard Law and Cornell School of Medicine. And at the height of his career, he made like a million dollars a year. So, I mean, and this is in the 80s. So a million dollars a year in the 80s is more than a million dollars That's like now. celebrity money. Yeah. And he was basically a celebrity. And they, she pretty much ended up being a stay-at-home mom because, honestly, to me, that was like well-earned retirement. I mean, not that, not that staying at home is any easier, especially when you have, because they ended up having four kids. Yep. Um, two boys and two girls. And so, no. Was it three girls and one boy? Or two boys. It might have been two boys and two girls. I think. Check. Um, I don't know. They look too far because Kim's just the only one that stuck out to me because she's so outspoken. She's outspoken. She'll do interviews. She's gone on Oprah. Yeah. And she's very. She's just in your. She's face. just like her mom. She's in like that her mom. Way. She doesn't know it and she doesn't like it. Yep. Because she won't admit to it. She's so firm in her stance, and that's the hill she's dying. Literally, on. but it's like the hill opposite of her mom's hill. Um. So while you're looking that up. So, yep, it was. It was, she had Kim and Lee. Those were her daughters. And then oh. there was Rhett and Daniel. You know, I think that's what threw me off was that one of the daughters was, was Lee. And for some reason, I thought that was a boy. So, okay. So, yeah, they did have two boys and two girls. Um, so she's staying at home, taking care of four kids. He's out here making a bunch of money. She, I remember that she encouraged him to start his own law firm. He did that. And she cared for their four children. They all went to private schools. And she pretty much was in charge of the kids and then planning the family social calendar. They had two country club memberships and then another membership at a private resort. So pretty much she's like the epitome of, you know, the rich lady that spends her time planning charities, planning events, planning things like that, going to the country club. She had a group of ladies that she had lunch with all the time. But again, this lifestyle was no accident. Um, when they met, so Betty, she, people don't realize this about her because she was, you know, a stay-at-home mom, but she was actually like super determined. Like she was very goal-driven. And even when she put him through school, it was always with the intent that, that he was going to give her a good life. So, yeah, she was, like, the ride-or-die wife, like, putting him through school. But she also wanted a good life. So, again, this was no accident. When they met Betty and Dan, they talked about it, and they shared the same vision for their future, which they've been quoted as saying was wealth, social standing, and a large family. Um, he was very ambitious and very intelligent and very funny. And she was quoted saying that she's also those three things. They were from the same kind of background, which they were both Catholic. They were both from affluent families. They both had education. They both had the same goals. So in theory, they were like a match made in heaven or hell, whatever you want to say. Um, all she wanted to do was be a mommy, and he promised her the moon. 
So it seems like she was definitely sold a dream. And she saw part of that dream. You know, he definitely showed her part of that. But, you know, again, she's already threatened to divorce him twice. But when the marriage really started to fall apart was once Dan... So Dan hits, like, midlife crisis. You know, he's middle-aged now or getting close to middle-aged. And he does the most cliche thing you can do. He buys a red sports car. And he hires a really pretty new legal assistant. And she's a 22-year-old former flight attendant. Her name was Linda Kokena. Um, and, I mean... We're, we're doing a podcast, so you can't see it. But if you want to look it up, she looks like she looks like a younger version of Betty. Like, like exactly like her. She looks like her wedding picture. And so when, when I'm thinking of the it's affair, crazy. it's like when you're, you're trading in like a for a, new, a newer model. And the more you learn about Linda, it's kind of like, haha, I won when it comes to Betty. Right. But it's like. I think had things not turned out the way she, the the way that things happened, she would have eventually been in that same position that Betty was, which is barefoot at home, pregnant. Oh yeah. Um, Everything's gone. And he's traded you in for a new Barbie. And I, I agree with you. I don't think that he, I mean, I'm sure he loved both of them in his own way, but he was clearly what I, well, this is opinion. This is not, based on anything but I think he was just a narcissist oh absolutely and that was a big point of contention between him and Betty is he's spending all of this money he's constantly going to parties he's doing all these things he's doing everything but being a husband and and a a father father. so she's Mm -hmm. again in that situation where she feels like she's a single mom but then you've got this 22 year old and she's loving it he's buying cars he's taking her on vacation she's getting the designer bag and there's like little to no regard for the right. fact that he's married. And then, you know, he's married and then there's four kids right. involved and she just, she, she does just not care. care. No, but it's like the 80, 20 rule. You yep. know, you've heard about the 80, 20 rule where yep. it's like you have 80%, but you leave it for the 20%. So like you hate your wife because she's nagging you. She's, but she's also at home caring for your kids. She's nagging you because she's taking care of your kids. You're making her be a stay at home mom by herself, all this. So of course she's going to have a bone to pick with you. And then you're going to drop her for the 20%. Of course, the 22-year-old legal assistant is happy and bubbly and not going to nag you about anything. She sees you at the office and you're whining and dining her. So, well, you know. And one of the things that I will always remember when I'm sitting there watching her interviews, and I did that obsessively as we're like prepping for this case because she is just so headstrong in what she believes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she she is just... You're not going to change her mind. Yeah. And one of the things that she talked about is when he hired Linda, she overheard him telling somebody else on the staff, like, she's beautiful. She's beautiful. And so she's yeah. like, who's beautiful? Who's beautiful? And she had to, like, get it out of him. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, you know, I just hired this new legal assistant, but she's going to work as a secretary. Right. And then when you think and about she it, she wasn't even a, like a, a legal assistant. She wasn't a paralegal nope, at all. She not at all. She wasn't qualified. Which she brought up to him. Yep. She was like, she's secretary. Why are you making her paralegal? But I am like, 
really under the suspicion that that affair started before, before that. she got to that office. I agree. Because to me, I she think was it was already qualified. happening. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to give you, he did, he sold that same dream that he sold yeah. to Betty to her. I'm going to give you a better life. Yeah. And this starts to be working for me. She doesn't know better. Oh, absolutely. You know, she really doesn't. And, and it's sad. But I don't feel bad for her. No, you Because don't. she knew he was married. And that, I just that part. That that part is definitely one of those things that's really hard to look at. But then there's times where I can find myself feeling sorry for her because there's clearly a power imbalance. You have this right. man with all this money. I he mean, knows everybody. Man. Yeah, yeah. And he's like the who's who. And, and she's, 22. she's 22. And I don't think like when I was 22, I did not completely process um, every time that I made a choice, what the long-term right. consequences of that could be. But at the same time, there are a lot of things that she's said and done that make it very hard to be sympathetic to her. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's the thing. Like I could almost let it go with the whole affair thing, but, but then she kind of rubs it in her face and we'll get to that, but it's just, she really, really didn't help the situation. Not at all. At all. So long story short, Betty kind of fixated on the, possible affair which I mean who could blame her you know she's putting all this time with this man and she I mean I feel like women in the back of their minds they know what they're dealing with and and you just know and he was I mean again she wasn't qualified he gave her the job she knows she was beautiful she heard him say she was beautiful she said that he'd never called anyone else beautiful so she ends up just chalking it up to a midlife crisis and she, because he also purchased a new red Corvette. Yep. So she's like, okay, so the pretty girl, the Corvette, this is just a face. I think she was just hoping it was a face. And I think like one of the things that she also said is that is what the other wives that she hung out with because of who his connections were. Mm -hmm. It was perfectly normal for their husbands yeah. to have affairs. And you know what? You just stick it out because it's... We went to therapy. We yep. worked through it. He got me a necklace. We're all good now. Yeah, he throws his money at me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be secure for life. And I let him go mess around with whoever he wants to in the meantime. And he comes home 